Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. My special guest tonight is acclaimed poet Sandra Yanoh. Sandra is not only a first-class poet, she's also one of the organizers of the Facebook group Cultivating Voices Live Poetry. She hosts the group's weekly live forum on Sundays, a must-attend event via Zoom. There's so much I can say about Sandy, but all I'll say is, hello, Sandy. How are you tonight? Michael, it is such an absolute joy to be with you and our audience tonight. It's it's really like a dream. I've I've been with you once before here, yes. um, and uh, to return is remarkable. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. I am so pleased. Let's begin this journey together, okay? Absolutely. What is poetry, Sandy? You know, poetry, to me, I studied in college a seminar on Robert Frost. And one of the things that Robert Frost, of course, was famous for saying, that poetry was a stay against confusion. And I really tend to think of poetry like as a movement toward understanding of like the deepest, deepest understanding that connects, of course, with what you do, Michael, quintessential listening. Poetry is as much about listening as it is about anything else. It is connected to to healing and community. And so all those ways that folks might think of it as in a kind of academic realm, I think it's of the, like the, the most primal human realm. And, that, and oh. that does connect us to listening to one another. That's what poetry oh, very is nice. to me. Very, very nice. So in the world that we live in, and maybe you've already answered this question, why is it important? Maybe I just want you to go a little deeper. Oh, absolutely. I've had, we're going to, we're going to, we, you, thank you for mentioning Cultivating Voices Live Poetry, the, the program that I host once a week. I have really learned through that work that poetry is a, such a significant way for us to connect with each other through our humanity. It's like we're a thread line with each other. I just am in constant amazement that I get to hear people share their most secret and most urgent things that they need to say. 
And poetry is so important because I've been watching it provide that opportunity for people to access their feelings, their emotions, their stories, their associations. Um, The things that matter most to them are what I think poetry can hold and can achieve when we bring people together in that endeavor. So that is so that is why it is so important and I've never felt that more as a person who's been studying poetry for a long time, I've never felt poetry's importance more than during the pandemic. You know, it's so funny. I think people often underestimate the power of hearing, of listening. And I'm glad you talked about the quintessential piece of that. But I also believe that you're right, during the pandemic Things have changed so much, so much, Sandy. Any other comments? Radically. All right. Well, let me ask this question. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? I have four kind of cardinal points that my work really touches on, and those are Silence, which would be the breaking of silence predominantly, disaster, desire, and hope. They work together in a very interesting constellation in that I believe that when we're silent is when we experience our most, the the deepest of the disasters, our own personal disasters. But the word disaster literally means to turn away from the star. That's what the word disaster means. And when we make that turn, it's a turn toward a desire for something that we couldn't, that we didn't believe we could imagine when we were in that space of disaster. And once you can desire again is when you can start to hope. And so... Um, I believe that my work really explores those four themes. All right. Well, please share one of your works. Well, this is a poem that I wrote in a coffee shop in Lincoln, Nebraska, not recognizing at the time that, that it would feel so emblematic of what it was like for me to continue to be a woman in in this dominant culture of America. And it's called What the Woman Who Doesn't Measure Will Do. The ruler's little slashes form a ladder she will not climb. The shadow of a shadow forming on the steps. The steps themselves, the light, the river that should keep still. She dives underwater. Her hands retrieve many stones, small bodies she piles on the bank when she returns for air. Later, She will throw each cold stone back against the pane of all the windows she's wanted to break. They will sink 
farther from her than the first time they sank. Unattended, the moon burrows into the blue. Far away, she says, as if no instrument could fathom such distance. Thank you. Very powerful. Very powerful. How does a poem ordinarily begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? I often hear a, 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 a small voice in my head that is driving me toward an image. And then sometimes I will get that first line, and then I'll feel driven to write that first line down. And um, the form comes pretty quickly after that, but I'm, but I'm very much driven by, I would say, image and then the line. And then the music, I really start to hear how I want a poem to sound in, in, my, in my head. And that's how I revise. So, but the image, the image is what the image is what drives it, and I can, I can talk a little bit more about that around some of the poems when I read them as well to share how that works. All right, very nice. As you think about poetry and your early beginnings, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Secondly, do you come from a literary background? You know, I don't think of myself as coming from a literary background. My folks did not attend college. However, however, in my household, my dad was always playing music. And my mom, unbeknownst to me, had written lots of poetry when she was young. And one day, I ended up um, going into my mother's desk and finding um, a journal or something. And I read this poem that was about the stars. It was, you know, astronomy, the constellations. And when I read it, I actually felt like I was reading one of my own poems. It was the eeriest, eeriest thing. I thought, oh, how did this poem, how did this poem of mine get here? And then realized, oh, my mother had written that in high school. And it sounded so much like my voice when I started writing poetry in high school. And so I, I don't think of myself as coming from a literary background, but I think of my, but I think of my, my family as really influencing the significance of my own literacy ever since I've been a little girl. And the poem reminded you of you. It did. It was very it was it was eerie. I thought I'd I thought I'd written it and I had to do a double take uh, because it sounded so much like it sounded so much like what I knew that I had been kind of writing myself at that time when I was yes. in high school and the cadence and the line lengths and everything 
like eerily seemed like my own voice, but it wasn't. It was my mother's. And, the, you know, that reminds me a little bit of an Elizabeth Bishop poem in, um, in the waiting room when she hears her aunt's voice in her head, that, that oh, that, that little oh of pain. It was Aunt Consuelo's voice. But then Bishop goes on to say, but actually it was my voice. I was my, I was my aunt. I was that timid, foolish woman. And in that moment, um, in that my moment with my mother's voice um, in front of me on the page, I felt like I, be, you know, that, that I was, that I became my mother in that moment and that she became me because she, she never got to write the way I've been able to write and yes. to share her yes. work the way I've been able to share my work. And so there's a mutuality to that, that I, that, that, that I that I that I always hold very very dear to my heart. That when I think about that particular poem of my mother's, and my father's gone on in later life to also write some poetry, and so it's it's been very interesting. It's been a very interesting journey, not coming from uh, what would traditionally be thought of as a very literary family, but but one that certainly has valued the written word. One last point on that. What do you think you learned about your mother from that experience, from finding her journal? You know, our mother, I think, I think so many of us have all, you know, have these myths about, uh, you know, about our parents. And yes, so true. I, I, right, and I learned really in that moment that, that, you know, that my mother had aspirations beyond just what I thought she was doing, which was trying to raise me, you know, and um, she, she wasn't, she wasn't, she wasn't working at the time when I would have kind of been that age, and, and that, you know, and that she had something that that she, that she felt she needed to say and that she needed to share but she didn't have an audience and mm. so the page became her audience and there's something that made me appreciate far more deeply the fact that i have an audience and also a sadness, really, that she wasn't able to find a way to break the silence off of the page beyond the page for her. But, but, but in that moment, that was enough. And yes. um, to, to have discovered it later was quite remarkable. And, and, to then, and so now I understand I understand how much she appreciates poetry. I mean, she listens to Cultivating Voices, the program, yes. all, all the time. And, and I really learned how much she influenced me in a way that I could never have appreciated without actually seeing that poem. That's why poetry is so important, Sandy. Absolutely, yep. Because it can build bridges where you never thought that you needed a bridge. And it and it and it's and it always and it, you know, continues 
and it continues in in the way that a family is constructed. You know, we have we have all the stories of the of what goes on in our families, and it's not always pretty, obviously. True. But yes. with but with but within but within 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 my family, knowing my mother's capacity to love and appreciate poetry, it is it is it is an unbreakable bond between us. Hmm. Let's take a brief break. It is and we'll just be a right back. thing that holds us together. Yes, we'll be right back. of my week, anything that had been going on during the rest of the week kind of falls away. There's an anticipation of knowing that the unknown is about to happen. There's an alchemy. There's a, there's, there's a, another world that will get created in that 60 to 90 minutes. And that even if I, you know, I know who's going to be reading, and, and many times I don't um, because it's a, sometimes there's an open mic, so it's, yeah. it, it, is, it is a complete surprise. Um, but even if I know the theme, I know the poets, uh, I, I likely know some of the poetry that's going to show up, I never, ever can anticipate what will happen in the combination of voices as they merge and talk with each other and and talk to the audience um you know that's listening and that is something to marvel and i've never you were telling me today that this mm-hmm. is 189th guest um, we've had hundreds of people come on, and I, I am, I am always, I'm as excited as I was, although not maybe not as nervous as I was the, from yes. the very first 
time we did it on March 20th, 29th, 2020. Uh, it's really never lost. It's it's glitter. It's it it, it it's it's magic. It's magic, Michael. Poetry is magic. Holding that space speaking is of, magic. Speaking of magic, please share another poem. Well, since I said the word magic, I'm going to take you to the second, to the second, um, to the to the second series in the the book that I've written, Boats for Women, and some poems about and in the voice of Bess Houdini, the the wife and partner of the acclaimed magician. Harry Houdini. This poem is Beth Houdini recalls the curtain in the modern world. Sometimes the hall window holds the echo of your face. It overrules the dark and the applause like glass breaking returns. We're together again, propped behind the curtain, waiting for the cloth to rise and bunch to take our bows. Your left hand picks the same lock in my back each night to rest upon. Sometimes, here, after all the defiances, I feel alone and grope for the woman left rusting in the drapery like an abandoned key. I hear the stage's edge call, my feet easily wanting the drop, and the crowds, their hands on all the unrehearsed places. Harry, you set out to disillusion the world. Is this why the window loves you? Thank you. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Well, there are there are there are so so many that I could mention. I'm gonna I'm going to take the ones that are that are that that I constantly go back to, which is not to minimize any one that I've read once that has touched me or a, a number of times. I'm very, very influenced by the poet Elizabeth Bishop, um, Marie Howe, Audre Lorde, Adrian Rich, and another, another poet that I, I go back to time and time again is Lee Young Lee. For all for very, very different reasons, um, I feel like with Bishop I really learned about image and line and that the microscopic um, and wanting to like stay in the moment. And, and I, I, and I also love her use of forms. I mean, there isn't a better villanelle in the world than one art as far as I'm concerned. And I just continue to go back to her time and time again for also her insight about, about what it about what it means to become a person in the world. I'm thinking about like her poem 
the fish where, you know, she, she catches a tremendous fish and then she lets it go. The, the, that's the first line and the last line. But everything in between is this delicious, unimaginable description of the fish, which, which tells, which creates a story about between a, a human and a fish in a way that we realize that both parties are worthy of, of being together and worthy of life together. It's a remarkable poem. And that poem in the waiting room that I mentioned before yes. of hers, that, mo- that moment when she realizes that she could be anybody um, I, I, I love her turns of phrases. Audre Lord, I appreciate because of her bold, bold strength of spirit and everything that she has written about um, just inspires me to, as she says, when I use, when I use my when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the in the service of my vision, then it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid. I think I've been a person afraid of so many things for most of my life, and Audre Lord reminds me: your silence will not protect you, and be in the service of your vision. And so I'll stop there with those two, but there's so many. There's so many. So Audre Lord released you from your fear through her work. Yeah, absolutely. Reading her, reading her essays and her poetry, um, particularly the essays in Sister Outsider really encouraged me. I was, I was, at the time, I was just coming out as lesbian. And yes. reading her work uh, um, encouraged me. And this was, you know, this was a number of years ago when it wasn't really still that um, safe to be writing poems from, a, from an L, you know, from a lesbian gay bisexual perspective. The T and yes. the Q weren't even in the lexicon yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 she and, and her essays, her dialogue with Andrew and Rick, the communities that she built, um, in, just inspired me to say, okay, I get it. My silence really won't protect me. Keep writing. Keep writing. Well, speaking of writing. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? I'm so obsessive about line breaks. <laughs> uh, I'm incredibly obsessive about line breaks. I, I, I am. I am not of the. I am not of the. I am not of the mind that a poem. Um, is fixed only in its moment of creation. I think there's so much to learn from the process of revision. 
that goes well beyond um, the process of the poem. I mean, it's for me, it's a little bit like climbing a ladder. I learn something about the poem. I revise it. I learn something about myself as a writer in the process of revising. I learn something about the poem again. You know, so so it I I I love the reciprocity that comes with revision, and and in and enjoy. I enjoy the initial rapture of starting a poem, but there is there is something deeply satisfying, and. Um, dare I say, like raucous or luxurious or both, um, about continuing to dive back um, under the waterline of a poem and see what else can surface. And for me, um, that's often in figuring out, well, what's what's the form going to take? Because I don't usually start out writing in a form. It usually comes out as like a, a, a wild burst of words and then I try to sculpt, you know, I I attempt to sculpt it in a way and that sculpting particularly through the line and the line break um, is what really gets me jazzed. (laughs) Okay. Well, jazz us with another poem. All right, I'm I'm going I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you a poem that's a sestina, uh, and because I wanted to share a poem that began as I talked about, sometimes for me, I'll start with that image or I'll hear that word in my head, and I the impulse to write will take over me. And this is what happened with this particular poem that um, takes place in the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, um, the night of the shooting. So I want to give a little bit of a content warning here for in that regard. But this poem started with me hearing a line, and I'll share with, I'll share with you what it is when I'm done with the poem. Um, and then I had to I, I had to immediately go to the poem and I and I, I did know it was going to be a sestina I did know that which is not always how it works. This is called Requiem for Orlando. I am struggling now to comprehend my pulse, how I still have one after all the opportunities I've had to die by my own hands with too many drinks downed in bars, then driving while I waited to become my uncloseted self. And now I have nothing to do but pulse with crackling rage while I raise an empty glass, mourning the fact that you, Orlando, lost so many hearts, lips, and hands, all wanting to give back something to the other hearts that beat like hell on that dance floor before the clock struck one. You alive, you raising your drinks to the glassy air, you raising your brown Orlando hands to the heavens in the heat of your last night at Pulse. And of course you don't know this, don't know that death is waiting around the corner like a drunk in a car as you wait for last call. 
Your early morning heart drums faster to keep perfect time with its perfect pulse as it moves closer to each body on the dance floor, to the one you will leave this world with tonight, with your hands locked tight, pressing each other's calloused palms, your glassy eyes looking forward to the next time you raise them like a glass. Clutch them in the grace of everything that the body waits to release when it releases itself from the tenuous grip of hands in the act. And doesn't your Orlando always resemble the heart, restless, resilient, eager to demonstrate how it is one with the divine, how it yearns to live from within its own pulse. And now I am pondering the woman who sat next to me, our pulses quickening on my porch steps before we kissed and shuffled our hearts back into the deck to hide in the shadows of the one true thing I know that I have been waiting to discover with another. And now, all the broken drinking glasses resemble diamonds on the dance floor, and a pair of smeared sunglasses rest on the floor of the massacre's aftermath, inside and outside of Pulse. Orlando, the world will wake up Sunday morning with news of your murdered hearts. And in the fifth stanza, I've dropped a line in shock. My hands go cold from grief. I don't know if I can spare to wait for the one who could be the one while everyone in Orlando is one dance step away from their hearts shattering like blown glass floats. That hands once held precious, waiting for love to pulse. Yes, pulse. And still, I have one. Thank you. What can I say? What can I say? What can I say? That was so powerful. The emotions, wow. Do you think someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Wow, it's such, that's, it, is, it, is, it is such a reeling telling, revealing, and question. I think that poetry is a, it, it is about, it is a way of seeing, feeling, sensing, experiencing, hearing, you know, of course I'm going to use your word, Michael, listening to the world. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I do, and, and in that regard, I think that, I think that strong emotions are the stuff that poetry is made is is made of. Um, so, um, you know, I I believe that everyone has poetry in them because everyone has feelings in them, and they have strong emotions. So, in that regard, I'm going to say everyone can every everyone can tap into and 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 and, and tackle. And tackle that that place, but but you've got to find the divining rod um, that reaches within your inside yourself to do it. Do you think that you live your life like a poem, like it's a poem? 
Um, For better or for worse or and everything in between, um, I do. I do see. I I I do recognize that 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 I likely walk through the world a little differently than some of other people that I know because I'm 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 looking with curiosity for you know for the image for the for the thing that is going to re- unlock something um uh that that I didn't know before and in that regard um now I I can't do that every minute of the day but I'd like mm-hmm. to be able to I mean I really would like to be able to and and the and that is my for me that is my best self is when I'm able to move through the world that way do you think you were meant to be a poet? <laughs> I love your question. I love your question so much. I just need to tell you that. Like, uh, you know, I hope people tell you that often. Well, that's why I love um, the big books. You know... I, I I'm gonna say the blasphemous thing, and I I I think I really wanted to be a painter like my grandmother. Um, oh wow! And I, I know I know I I really loved painting when I was young, and I painted with my grandmother. And mm. I'm, I'm I'm kind of surprised I didn't become a painter. Um, I guess it's not too late, and I suppose that there's a way that I paint. You know, with the line. Um, yes. But uh, I, 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 and I was, I was told another time that that photography, that I was a pretty strong photographer. But here's the thing about me: I was, I, I, beca- I'm, I'm a poet out of stubbornness more than more than anything else. And um, I, I, I just decided that that's what I wanted to that's that's what I wanted to do as a writer was to be a poet not a fiction writer not an essayist I love all those genres but um but uh, against other advice uh I said no poetry is the thing I want to do and um so but I don't I don't know that I, I I don't know that I was I'm only meant to be what I meant where I am and so yes. here I am. Wow. Here I am. <laughs> so eloquently stated. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. That put a smile on my face. I like that. <laughs> Please share another poem. <laughs> share another poem. Sure, sure. Well, um, let's take let's let's take you to uh another um another place kind of near and dear to my heart uh which is some aspects of history i i i have a deep deep appreciation for the titanic disaster of 1912 and the first section of of my debut collection boats for women uh, is about is 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 about many different maritime disasters, but predominantly features the Titanic. 
So this is the title poem, Boats for Women. Yes, the boat sank. Yes, it broke in two like a stereotypical heart. Before it plummeted to depths, no one could measure. Until 70 years later, technology caught up and looked its ancestor in the face. Yes is the way the years oxidize the steel, and yes wipes the name Titanic off the bow. Yes are the lifeboats, the davits, the call for women and children first. Yes are the men who cry from the decks. Sometimes when I kiss her, I am leaving a yes on her lips to let her know I will go down with this ship. Sometimes when she whispers, yes, we are staying on board. But there is always room in the lifeboats for two more women. Yes is the fact that if we were alive on that night, we would have lived. Thank you. Again, what do I say? You know, when I think about your work and I think about the titles of your poems, in my mind, they're very detailed, very specific. What role should a title play for a poem? If I could give, if I could give the quintessential answer to this, like I'd be able to, I'd, I'd be able to like retire right now. Like everybody, <laughs> you know, cause this is it. Like what is the function what is the function of, you know, what is the function of a title? I mean, I, I, I it can take, it can take on so many things, but, but for, 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 for me, um, I, I want it to be a crack in the door uh, and, you know, uh, it, it, like a, a slight open of the Pandora's box, uh, you know, it, it, it should, it should, provoke you into curiosity of, of, of what's about to follow and, and yet not tell everything. Do not, you know, do not reveal everything. One of the things that I like best about the cover to my book, Boats for Women, is that the cover has neither a boat nor a woman on the cover. Hmm. And it, so it, it, it for me i thought that was i thought that was genius on the part of the designer because it leads you into wondering okay well then where are all the boats where are all the women like what does this what does this mean as we're looking at the swirl of purple water on the cover and i think that um you know i i think that a good title um you know, you know, should lead us should lead us down um, a path that we couldn't imagine, and yet when we finish the poem, it 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 is feels crystal clear that well, of course that was the title, of course, of course, of course that was, um, of course that was the magic door that let us in. They're not easy to do by any stretch no, of the imagination. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Please hear another poem. Well, as I as I've mentioned to you um, throughout this 
absolutely delightful time. Um, <laughs> I I do love I do love I do love history. I do love history, and so I'm going to share another poem that takes us all the way back to 1892. Um, okay. I wow. got a little obsessed with. Um, a friend of mine had written a poem about Lizzie Borden, and okay. she kind of she kind of um, dared me to go and write one of my own, and so I I did, and it's 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 what I call a fractured sonnet. If you were to see it, it's actually 28 lines because I broke each line in half to. Um, to create this illusion of of hatchets. Um, and the poem is called All the Hatchets. Borden Residence, Fall River, Massachusetts, August 1892. The police, after I summoned for help, appeared to wait with me for a break in the case. In my parlor, they apologetically hounded and hounded me with insinuations masked as questions before the wounds on my father's face had time to cake dry. We all made mistakes that blistering August day. I remained a woman alone because no one saw me awake with a man. They believed in all the hatchets they'd found dismembered in my basement, evidence resounding that I took the blade to flesh multiple times downstairs and up. I could not debate their suppositions any more than my deflated muscles could release their powers to a blunt instrument. I ask what you might have accomplished in those implausible hours with all the words in your mouth a confession of gravel you wished to spit to the planked parlor floor, your creased forehead unveiling its worry in the mirror's glass. What would you do to ignite your innocence if from the couch in the other room your father's one good dead eye continued its duress? Thank you. On that note, let's take a brief break. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> that was so powerful, Sam. <laughs> we'll be right back. I am here with the amazing Sandra, you know. You know, 
they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work, Sandra? What emerges from you? I, I, you know, I love humor, and I love, I love, I love wit, um, and I love joy. I, 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 I don't always, um, but I, but I, but I think that 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 I am always looking in my poems for like that 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 slight that turn toward hope that I mentioned earlier before. I yes. mean. I, my, you know, my poems are often um, take us to the, you know, to the kind of the the, the sad, the, the grief stricken, the uh, the forlorn, um, the ravaged, the, the confused, and. And want to make sense of something, to, you know, to make that turn back towards. Um, it's 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 to turn away for it's to turn back toward the light. It's it's that turn that turn I talked about in disaster. To turn away from the star, um, back to some semblance of hope. And um, you know, I also think that comedians do that as as well. Um, when I when I really think about it, I, I I think that they're doing something similar. I mean, I'm not I haven't studied comedy in that that deeply, but I've been I I listened for a long time to um, Jerry Seinfeld's program, uh, comedians with cars and co- with coffee in cars or something like that, yes. and 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 and, and, and yeah, the the way that the way that the comedians talk about their craft. Um, that I feel like poets talk about around their craft. It was really quite interesting. So. Hmm. You know, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to the audience, while others write to not stay silent because that's not an option. What do you write? Why do you write? Well, when I mentioned Audre Lorde earlier, you know, I definitely mm-hmm. hearkened on that 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 that, um, that very necessary uh, urge to you know to break the glass of silence. You know, in case of fire, break glass, um, and. And I think that that's I think that I think that that's I think that's what I'm attempting to do for, for myself first. And, and if I'm if I'm lucky, if I'm if, if I'm fortunate, um, what I what my breakthrough in a poem, if I'm able to achieve it, um, can serve as a breakthrough for the person listening. And I realize that it may be different breakthroughs. Um, the reason that I'm trying to break through might not be how a, a poem supports a listener in breaking through, but I'm okay with that. Um, and but it does start, I think, with my own reckoning 
um, and, and 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 speaking and speaking something that that seems beyond my reach of understanding, but something that I feel desperate. You know, Sandy, I hear an echo. I hear an echo. Yes. I'm not sure if you can hear it. Are you there? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right then. Uh, Speaking of reckoning, we're going through so much in this world, Sandy. So much. There's so much, there's a lot of good things, but there are also a lot of things that need to be addressed. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? I'm taking a a, a very deep pause because it's a very, uh, it's, it's a heavy, heavy question. You know, as I said, week after week, month after month through the pandemic, um, through um, through people having personal crises, and also um, in the in in the United States, uh, the the reckoning around Black Lives Matter, but around um, trans issues, LGBTQ issues, immigrant rights. Poverty, uh, any, any, anything that is suppressing, oppressing, is is what is 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 what is necessary to be spoken in a poem. You know, to to open to open that throat to. Not just a song, but a cry. Often, it's a cry. Wow. And 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 your program provides the the ability for people to sing and cry, and to share those and to share those utterances that are so necessary that if we do not hear them, I do not think, I do not think that we can, I do not think that as a species we can survive if we do not continue to listen and truly hear those cries and take action. Now, poetry is an action, but it requires more action. But poetry is one way to strike the match. Incredible. <laughs> I am having so much fun <laughs> listening to I you. I do too. <laughs> I really am. I really am. I feel like I'm in a class. <laughs> I'm learning so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what do you view as being a measure of success as a poet? You know, I had I had I had a 
a, a, a student contact me today of, of I had done a reading in New Hampshire about three years ago and this young this 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 young poet contacted me out of the blue to say I had your book a few years ago I forgot about it and I picked it up and I remembered I, you know, I remembered how much I appreciated and felt like the poems influenced how I thought about writing my own work. For me, poetry, poetry for me is about um, um, encouraging, inviting others to speak their truth. That to me, that to me is... Um, the greatest gift that I that that I can provide as a poet, and that's um, that's what I think the measure of a poem of a poet is 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 how is, is how much they open up others to the world of poetry. So it's not like do I have a you know a great body of work? Um, it's that in the moment, if one of my poems speaks to you. Or to you, or to you, mm-hmm. I'm doing. As Audre Lorde says, I'm doing my work, and that—that's what I think the genuine work of a poet is. You know, it goes back to that oral tradition of the, the bards. You know, just yes. reciting their work, uh, hoping someone would listen. And it comes. It always comes back to that listening part for me. If someone you know, is think- listening. When you think back to finding your mother's poetry to now, how has your idea of what poetry is and what poetry can do changed since you began this journey? Now, that's a big question. I know it's a big question. Yeah, it's a question. You don't shy from you don't shy from the big, like vital quintessential questions. There it is. Um, <laughs> you make me laugh. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your question, Michael. Don't worry. I'm going to answer your question. But I also want to just say, one of my favorite, favorite episodes, and there have been many, because I, you know, I love, I love the program. I don't call in. I never call in. I'm going to call in sometime, but um, I just listen. I loved when you interviewed Kate Wegerson, and um, you two had such a rapport together on on the on on the radio that that evening or streaming. And um, because she is a, she is a poet who has been has has, has not always had like the confidence to allow herself to be, to, to think of herself as a poet and to share her poetry. And what I think about, um, so I, 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 it's your laugh. It was your laugh that prompted me to remember that. The two of you laughed so much on that program. I loved it. But what does poetry, um, how has poetry changed over, you know, every single time I am, 
every single time I hear someone read a poem, I hope I am open to to considering um, how poetry can change me. So that um, I think it's been a lifelong process of actually not staying fixed in. I have to write a poem that sounds or looks or feels like X and stay in X. X does not mark the spot. Um, uh, Poetry for me is about how do you depart and arrive somewhere. And, And so I hope I'm changed every single time I encounter, every single time I sit down to write a poem and every single time I hear someone share a poem. And again, um, I feel like every single week I've been so fortunate to have that happen um, on Cultivating Voices. And, and, all, and frankly, all the other poetry um, readings that I've, that, I've, that I've gone to online and uh, attended and or listened to, um, poetry has like, remains deeply, purely, um, and it's quintessentially, you know, it's like one of my favorite words. I use it all the time because I've taken it from you. It is quintessentially <laughs> about listening. So for me, how can I continue to change through listening? Poetry for me is that medium. And it, so the po- so so I've changed because. Um, because of the because of the way that poetry um, poetry is able to change from through every different person that I listen to wherever they are in the world. We've reached the end of our journey together. <laughs> We've reached the quite end. A, quite a journey tonight. Uh, quite a journey. Quite a journey. <laughs> quite a journey. Quite a journey. What's next for you, Sandra, you know? What's next for you? Where do you go from here? I've been working on my second collection, which is almost complete, called The Glass Studio. My parents are stained glass artists. But the, mm. but the next project that I'm, that I'm starting to dive into to work is it's an erasure project of a book um, a book written about the Titanic. I'm going. I'm going to go back. I'm going to dive back into the wreck, as Adrian Rich writes about diving into the wreck. And um, I'm doing an erasure of an entire book called A Night to Remember, to pro- to produce um, a series of poems. I'm not sure if it'll be one long poem or consider it a series. But that's my next project. And of course, listening to all the poets always listening to the poets so going to as many readings as I can ladies and gentlemen <laughs> we have been on a roller coaster tonight <laughs> oh wow silence disaster desire and hope See, I take notes, Sandy. <laughs> I take notes. <laughs> oh, I knew you were listening, Michael. I have yeah. no doubt. I have no doubt. If I was, I was listening, <laughs> if I don't do anything else, <laughs> I'm going to listen. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for gracing us with your presence, with your work, 
with your wisdom. I can't wait for the Sundays <laughs> to get a chance to see you again. Uh, I love seeing you again. every Sunday, and <laughs> thank you for all that you do, Michael. To well, hold I appreciate that. The space for poetry, change, uh, and and also hope. Mm. Well, on that note, I say to you again, thank you. I want to thank our listening audience, and as I share every week, let poetry reign. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and make sure to catch our next episode.